The way we consume and share news today is largely rooted in social media outlets, a reason why it is crucial that we look at what's being discussed online. From the hottest issues to trends for our daily social media minute, we have Yerika <laughs> Park. Good morning. Good morning, Jiwon. Well, it seems like uh, North Korea is kind of like dominating all of our segments yeah, this morning. Yeah, that's true. But this one, I guess, could be considered on a little bit of a lighter note. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, Marie Antoinette yeah. had the famous quote, let them eat cake. Yeah, if there's no bread, let them eat cake. Yes. So in the latest propaganda film mm-hmm. that came out from North Korea, yeah. the uh, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un uh, has a... Has, I think he's one-upping Marie Antoinette. Let them eat spaghetti, cheese, and champagne. Wow. Well, I mean, he did spend, uh, you know, his his a large chunk of his childhood in uh, Switzerland, Switzerland. that's right. (laughs) I don't know. But anyways, we'll get to that part in a little bit. But uh, I just want to talk about this uh, new documentary film for a little bit. Um, The documentary film is is propaganda. It tries to promote just how committed uh, Kim Jong-un is to solve the problems and inconveniences of his people. Um, North Korea's Chuseon Central TV uh, released the new documentary titled... Father of the People, uh, on Monday. The running time is one hour and 40 minutes, quite long. And uh, the documentary basically sheds light on uh, Kim Jong-un's struggles and a deep commitment to improve the quality of the lives of the North Korean people. Yeah, so the film focuses on several of his key policies to better the lives of the Koreans, uh, including efforts to solve uh, the food shortage problem in the state. And uh, the documentary shares some of the policy reports submitted to the leader uh, going all the way back to 2014, as recently as 2019. And... uh, uh, there, there's no shortage of anecdotes in the film mm-hmm. to highlight his dedication to his people. And uh, one example takes the viewers back to 2014 when he reportedly visited a local orphanage and uh, he was heartbroken at the time to see old rice bowls the children were eating out of. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the actual vessels. Right, you know? right. And uh, so the, the leader following his visit later sent over new bowls and plates to the mm-hmm. same orphanage. Mm-hmm. Adorned with popular characters like Hello Kitty and Mickey Mouse, Snow White, and Thomas the Tank Engine. So does that also signal a little bit of easing of the anti-American or anti-West sentiment? You would think so, right? Because these characters I just mentioned, they're symbols of... American capitalism. Right, right. <laughs> right? And uh, I was just talking about this with our producer earlier before the show, but uh, Kim Jong-un, when he was attending high school in Switzerland, was it middle school or high school in Switzerland, uh, he was notorious for never wearing jeans because they symbolized, basically it's a symbol of America. Oh, really? And everything America stood for. So he never wore jeans never while wore in jeans. Switzerland. He only wore tracksuit pants. In name brand, he had a lot of things that were very expensive that his peers could simply not afford uh-huh. or even dream of having like the latest game consoles and such. But anyways, um, so that's one anecdote. Uh-huh. Here's another one. In order to solve uh, its urgent housing shortage issue, mm-hmm. uh, Kim Jong-un insisted during a party convention back in January of 2021 
that 10,000 new houses be built in Pyongyang every year. His top policymakers suggested that the number be reduced to 7,500 mm-hmm. new homes a year because they, they faced a number of challenges. The documentary shows how Kim Jong-un was undeterred and uh, ordered them to push forward with the original plan, the 10,000 new homes. He even gave them the green light to demolish his late grandfather Kim Il-sung's old house the entire complex, so the construction could go ahead as planned. Yeah, that land was actually right by the uh, river That's in, right. in Pyongyang. And then they built a pretty modern, uh, you know, terrace apartment. And it was it made news because, you know, Lee Chun-hee, mm-hmm. the main news anchor of North Korea, yes. the lady that yep. comes in Hanbok yep. all the time, she was actually given uh-huh. an apartment of, a, in a that unit? complex, I a see. unit there. Mm-hmm. And so... That made uh, headlines in... But how many regular people will actually afford homes like that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's for the Pyongyang elite, right? Right, obviously. Yeah, but the apartment complex looks uh, very modern, almost almost like a a South Korean complex. That's right. So the film, as you can see, really tries hard to draw people's attention to, you know, Kim's people's politics, uh, saying that things like how he's always been against mobilizing regular people for unnecessary labor and to understand underscore this message, the film tells another anecdote in which Kim Jong-un, on his way home from a local leadership meeting back in 2014, it was in the in the middle of the night in December, very, very cold. He saw local residents clearing the road. Mm-hmm. They were shoveling snow, basically, mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. night. And he was, again, heartbroken to see his people laboring away. So he ordered his personal aides to shuffle the snow on the road instead. Did, did he... Shuffle the snow <laughs> as question. well. That's a good question. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine him uh, no. busting out in yeah. his uh, Yimin book, Shuffling right. Snow. Uh-huh. Um, and then give us, what's the background on the let them eat spaghetti, cheese, and champagne? Yeah, so apparently um, his aides, they, they submit reports regularly on what the people eat and things like that. And uh, apparently Kim Jong-un said, you know what, provide our people with spaghetti and uh, cheese and champagne expand their dietary options. But this is so far removed from reality, as everybody knows. So I thought that, you know, it was a little bit amusing. Uh, no, it's definitely yeah. amusing, but he's, a, he's definitely a character. Definitely. Yes. Okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> but food-related. Mm-hmm. But I think the second story kind of tells you how Korean culture and our the soft power of Korean culture yep. is continuing to spread across the globe, mm-hmm. not just through K-pop and uh, Korean dramas, but also through our cuisine That's as right. well. Interesting story because a Polish mother-daughter has created a business selling, selling kimchi. homemade kimchi. Yeah, that's they really try to stick to the authentic recipe. And uh, they don't make changes to cater to the local palate. Yes, uh, I saw the pictures on mm-hmm. the article, and like even the jar looks yeah. like a right? Korean market jar. Exactly. Right. So, anyways, uh, to tell you a little bit about this mother-daughter business duo, uh, their names are Agnieszka and Carolina. Uh, they lost their jobs during the pandemic back in 2020. The mother, she was a marketing and communication executive at an international company, and she'd been doing that for 15 years. Lost her job. Her daughter Carolina is a professional photographer. 
photographer, and she had a difficult time during the pandemic getting projects. Right, exactly. So we're streaming the photo now. We see the mother and the daughter holding up a big jar of kimchi, <laughs> and they really make it Instagram friendly. You know, uh-huh. look look at the images. I mean, who wouldn't be intrigued? They're Polish. They're clearly Westerners holding up this large jar of kimchi. Well, anyways, after they lost their jobs, they started making kimchi. And you might be wondering, how did they start yeah. making kimchi in the first place? Yeah, well, well, how did they get interested in this? You know what, Carolina? She actually studied English for a while in Australia, and uh, during her stay there, she attended this an English academy, and uh, she met some Korean friends okay. who introduced her to Korean cuisine, the culture. They took her to restaurants, and that's when she got her first taste of kimchi. Mm-hmm. And uh, after she returned home to Poland, she could not get the taste of kimchi out of her mind. Mm. So what she did was she went on, she she went online and searched for you know where can I find kimchi in Poland, but mm-hmm. she couldn't find any, not the authentic kimchi anyway. So right. she went online on YouTube, and she found tutorials and she started making kimchi from scratch. At home with local wow. ingredients. Yeah. Wow. She experimented with recipes and over time she nailed it and she shared her kimchi with her close friends and family. They loved the kimchi that she made. So uh, after they lost their jobs with her, with her mother, they decided, you know what? I- I'm really good at making kimchi. Why don't we make a business out of this? Yeah. So that's how their business uh, started. I think it's amazing. Koreans take one thing with them everywhere they go, yep. which, is, which is kimchi, kimchi. and lamian. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, I mean, even when I went to Antarctica, uh-huh. like the, oh, yeah. the camera crew and the producer, <laughs> we insisted on taking, you know, the little canned kimchi right. and also uh, lamian. So I think mm-hmm. we took like 70 kilos of lamian. Yeah, and lamian is not heavy, no. but 70 kilos of, of lamian is a lot of lamian. I mean, we were down there in Antarctica for three months, but... Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm sure that made you guys very happy. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and just like uh, what happened with uh, mm-hmm. these two ladies, yeah. we we shared the kimchi and the lamion with the crew of the boat. Yeah, right, our captain mm-hmm. and our on our and the first mate That's and everybody. That's how culture gets spread, and they loved it, right? Yep. So uh, I think this is a very very great story. Another thing, though, I think as Korean culture continues to spread, yep. um, Koreans are going to have to deal with. You know, the sensitive subject of cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they say, oh, because you're white or because you're a Westerner, you probably can't operate a Korean restaurant Mm -hmm. or you probably don't make the kimchi as authentic Authentic. as um, a Korean would. Yes. But that's a slippery slope that you could go down and it's, it's, it's a... It's a dangerous slope that you could fall down. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm really starting to not like the word authentic when we talk about food. Uh, because yeah, exactly. what is authentic in this day and age, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and if, if Koreans start making that argument, then all of the French chefs and the Italian food chefs <laughs> exactly. and, and the American chefs, mm-hmm. that uh, Koreans who operate those kind of cuisines yeah. in Korea, mm-hmm. they basically take out the argument for them. Yeah. Right? Totally. So we... I know it's coming, mm-hmm. and there's gonna be controversy surrounding it. I know. Yeah. I think uh, recently, um, was it in New York or mm-hmm. in LA? Mm-hmm. There was a uh, a Westerner, a white, yeah, Caucasian, l- Caucasian yeah. person who yeah. was operating a Korean fusion restaurant, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they were getting some backlash on the internet message boards. Oh, saying, saying oh, that's about not Korean the, food. Yeah, talking about I the read that authenticity yeah. of the food. Uh huh. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, you're gonna, we're gonna, we're, we as Koreans are gonna have to face that. Right. But we should prepare ourselves and also be educated. I and, think so. And, um, you know, support. Yeah. You know, the best part about the story yeah, is that what is Koreans it? living in Poland approved. Approved, and yes. they're looking for their kimchi. They're buying their kimchi, and their sales are just going up. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm all for this, uh, this mother-daughter <laughs> yeah, man. business. More, more power to them. Yep. And it's amazing that, you know, she went, looked, at, looked up the recipes, exactly. l- learned it, and then, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, put their, finished up their product. Yeah, it's a labor of love, and C- people love it. Continuing to evolve yeah. as well, I'm sure. <laughs> yep. Okay, the third story, um, these extreme weather cases. We had droughts, we had flooding. Uh, We talked about some of the effects of the droughts in Europe and how, um, you know, old markings from hundreds of years ago were being revealed because the rivers were getting dry. Hunger stones. That's right, hunger stones, that's Uh what they're called. But now, over in the United States... (laughs) <laughs> Droughts have revealed the an bottom old, of the river. Yes, an old, old, old shipwreck. That's right. The remains of a 19th century ship were found at the bottom of the Mississippi River in Baton Rouge, which is Louisiana's capital. Uh, you know, there's been a widespread and prolonged drought in this region, and it's caused water levels to drop to record low levels. There is a man named Patrick Ford. Uh, He's a resident of the area and he discovered this uh, trading ship during one of his daily searches of the Mississippi Riverfront for artifacts and uh, he contacted uh, his friends and local archaeologists and indeed the archaeologists uh, confirmed that uh, Ford's findings were from the Brook Hill shipwreck. Mm -hmm. Uh, The ship was first built in 1896 in Indiana for trade purposes. The ship sank in 1915 after a large storm. This is so fascinating to me. How do they look at a ship? It's basically just like the remains. It looks like the the rib cage of a, a very large animal. And they look at it and they're like, oh, yeah, this shipwreck happened in 1915. Mm. You know, I, I find this history, the, the job that the archaeologists do, absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Well, yeah, there we go. And apparently, there are very few such ships currently remaining to this day. So this is a very rare find. I see. Yeah, according to archaeologists. Yeah. With shipwrecks, though, um, a lot of the ship logs yep. are pretty well kept. Mm-hmm. So that's why they were able to probably track it. And the Mississippi River is not like uh, an ocean. No. So um, they know exactly which ships were going back. And, and when you're looking at it, 1915, so there were newspapers then. So I'm sure when the ship sank, yep. there's historical records you're right. on that. Yeah. Um, but it's still interesting nonetheless. And for those of you guys unfamiliar with um, the United States and its geology, uh-huh. the Mississippi River is a major trading route. Yep. And basically, it was the de facto western frontier mm-hmm. before uh, the United States expanded past the Mississippi and into the Louisiana Territory and all the way to the Pacific to California. It connects all the way from the Great Lakes all uh-huh. the way down to Louisiana, which is the Gulf of Mexico. Thank you for that lesson. Yes. <laughs> I never grew up in the U.S., so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the major river yeah. of the United that States. That I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, and, and it, and it cross-sects the entire country, mm-hmm. north to south. All right. Yeah. Anyway, I'm pretty good in geology. <laughs> <laughs> I paid attention. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> well, Erica, thank you so much for Pleasure. your time this morning. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. 
If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.